Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story on your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon, and we are here in season seven. Yay! If you're new to Adoption Now, we tell stories from the perspective of adoptees, birth parents, and adoptive parents. My husband, Noah, and I have four children through adoption. We started the show as a radio program in Denver, and it has become the international podcast you hear today. We have learned so much and we continue to reach more and more people. Our message is clear, adopt the whole story. We don't just focus on the baby or child. We really want to understand the whole picture. In the process of adoption, we know firsthand that you go through some serious hard times. And if you don't give up, we really believe that God teaches you deep things about yourself, your family, and most of all, you learn more about his heart. Okay. I I just love the show so much. I just get so excited. And last episode was so fun. I hope that you guys heard it. We're moving back to Denver. And Noah and I updated you on our lives and the kids. We talked about Anne of Green Gables. And I know, I know I called Marilla Miranda. And I like caught that afterwards. I'm like, no, I know her name is Marilla. I don't know if you guys caught that, but it was fun. Noah and I were having so much fun and we were excited to tell you about the new website, adoptionnowpodcast.com. Can't wait to see that grow. And that has been a long dream fulfilled. And we just know that God's hand is in it. Thank you so much for all of your tips and prayers and all of you who have reached out to tell us that you're fans of the website and have applied through the website. We are getting so many stories and it's so exciting. Okay. Today, we have a story from Michigan, my fave. That's where I'm from. And I like what she said when we pre-interviewed. She said, adoption is joyfully hard. And I really, really love that. It's so true. Megan and her husband, Kurt, had two biological children when they took a trip to Haiti that changed their life. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to hear your story. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to share it. It's, you know, it's God's story. And I feel like that it is ours to share to the world and just to give glory back to God. How did you hear about adoption now? Well, I think um, the adoption community just seems small. And when you're in the midst of adoption, you will reach out for any resource out there. <laughs> True. So I just went on podcast and I typed in adoption and you popped up and I've been listening to you ever since. Oh, I love that. And when you and I pre-interviewed, I was like talking to you like we had been friends for years and years. Like we had all this history. Do you think it's because we're both from Michigan? Maybe. Maybe. I think so. <laughs> or we're a lot alike. Adoptive moms, we just have to stick together. It's you know? true. It's I think true. we get each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that when you talk about some of the things that our listeners are going to hear today, I really related to it, right? It was like the words I needed to hear for my own situation. And that's what I love about adoption now is it's helping me become a better parent through people like you. Okay. So you go to Haiti and your life has changed. Let's start there. 
Yes. So my husband and I, um, we've been, we just had our 20 year anniversary, but we were down, um, well, we have two boys, we have two biological boys and we had talked about adoption briefly, but it was mainly because like I wanted a girl. (laughs) So we really didn't talk about adoption. Um, yeah. So, well, my husband and I fell in love with the Virgin islands. And so we would fly down there and fly home. And on our 10 year anniversary, we were flying back from St. Thomas and we flew over Haiti and it was a clear day and it was beautiful. And you could just see the difference between the Dominican and Haiti. And my husband said to me, he says, um, his really good friend, Daryl, helps start Children of the Promise in Haiti, which is a child infant care center. It's a Christian um, American ran organization. They're out of Minnesota. And our friend Daryl still serves on the board for this orphanage. So he said, hey, why don't you guys come with me? So we're flying back home from our 10 year anniversary. And my husband says, next time Daryl goes to this orphanage, I think we should go. Oh boy. (laughs) There it started. That's what started it. (laughs) So yeah. So um, our friends, uh, Daryl planned a trip to Haiti that next year. And we said, yes, we said we would go. And we invited my husband's best friends, Joel and Amy, to go with us. The orphanage needed some vehicles repair, and we knew that Joel could do that. So that whole year that we spent in preparing to go to Haiti, we prayed very boldly that this trip would um, just open up our eyes to help us see what God wanted us to see and to also change us. Um, we prayed very boldly that this would not only change our lives, but also change our friends' lives. We felt like that if it wasn't going to change us, then why go? Mm -hmm. That's kind of how we felt. So yeah. So in February of 2014, we boarded a plane and I will be honest in saying that we were as far away from adoption as we had ever been. Really? You weren't thinking in the back of your mind. I wonder if I'm going to adopt. Not at all. We were sitting on that flight and I remember having this conversation with Kurt and I'm like, do you think we're going to adopt? And he's like, no. I'm like, me neither. And then you high-fived and you got on that plane and you changed your mind somewhere in that process, right? It's so funny how God works. <laughs> yes. You know, you tell him no and he's like, okay, I it's hear you. It's the very Watch thing. It. It's usually the very thing that you say no right? So you just like learn as you get older, just don't even say no, because that's going to be the very thing you have to do and not have to do like you have joy, but you know what I mean? I do know. I mean, we just laugh, but yeah. So we went to Haiti and we kept our eyes wide open. We built relationships. We served that whole week and we really just kind of absorbed what this looked like, just Haiti in general and what an orphanage looked like. And, um, yeah, just had a great time. Did and you leave your two boys? Our two boys did not go with us. Okay. On that. And what year was this? This was in 2014. Okay, 2014. And your boys, and how old were your boys at this time? Connor would have been 11 and Caden would have been nine. So they're still little, but not like tiny. Yeah, th- exactly. But we were done with diapers. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, so you go over there and you just see so many children and so many kids in need. I mean, talk to us about how that changed you. Yeah. What was so fascinating about what Children of the Promise does is that they're an infant child care center. 
So their primary goal is to help keep children with families. So they have a prenatal program, they have um, a formula program, they have a food program, they have physical therapy classes to help families keep their special needs children. Um, So they will do everything possible to keep kids with families. There are times where the children will need to come into, um, be admitted into Children of the Promise just for several months to help them get just nurturance back into them, um, help them get healthy. And then adoption is really the last option. If a child cannot be reunited with its family, then they are placed for adoption. And what that looks like at Children of the Promise is that they have, I don't, I think it's about a 15 acre campus but they have multiple homes on the campus that they would look like foster homes to us. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the easiest way to describe it. And every foster home has a foster parent who's most of them are from America. And then they have a ton of Haitian nannies that live inside these houses. So like inside one house, you'll have a foster mom and or dad, and then a, you know, six or seven or eight nannies that kind of rotate shifts. And then there's anywhere from like five to 10 kids that live in a home. Okay. We set something up like that in Uganda and it was called a village, but every Tugal was a hut basically, or a house was on the property. And then it created that full village, but they all went to their own homes with their foster parents. And it created a great community for them to be together and also feel like they had a home and they weren't just in like some giant institution. You know, they actually had a home life, which I love for them. So when did you guys change your mind and think we should pursue adoption? Yeah. So on the very last day we were there, we had, there was one little girl in particular who, who we did not adopt. We actually could not adopt her. Her paperwork was way further ahead than ours was. Um, but I thought she was going to go home with her birth family. And I asked one of the missionaries when she was going home and the missionary just simply said, she's not, she's up for adoption. And God used that moment to really open my eyes to see that every orphan stays an orphan until a family like us says yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what really broke my heart because this, this place was full of kids that needed homes and they're just waiting. And so whether they're in foster care in the United States or internationally, the, these kids, they sit in limbo between their birth family and their forever family until someone like me says yes. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like God just broke my heart then. And so from so we flew back to the United States the next day. And my husband and I were very dedicated and committed to praying for this one little girl. And as we did, God just kept knocking at our hearts and really, we we always, we do say over the next two weeks from when we got home, God completely parted the Red Sea for us. He made every, he made it completely possible for us to adopt. And almost to the point that if we didn't do it, we were being completely um, disobedient to mm-hmm. the Lord. So, yeah, so we came home and God really spoke to us through all the obvious signs of like songs and podcasts and scriptures and stuff like that. But there were some very um, just remarkable things that had happened to us. And, and one of them, which we just, 
it's, it's totally a God story. Um, so like a year before we ever went to Haiti, we had a situation happen in our life that we knew that we'd be taking home, um, a series of about 18 different checks. There was something that had happened. And so my husband was like, Hey, we're going to start taking in this money, but just, you know, tithe it, put it towards the mortgage and put it in the college kids college funds, but don't absorb it into our budget. Okay. So we kind of forgot about that, you know, went to Haiti, came back, um, really felt like God was asking us to pursue adoption. So we called the adoption agency. She emailed me some documents said, just look these over. This will explain to you what international adoption looks like. Okay. So I did that a little overwhelming, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All the paperwork can be so overwhelming. And if you're in that process, take it just a day at a time, do what you can that day. We, Yeah. So I was sitting at the kitchen island and I had all this, all this whole document printed and I turned the page and I saw the cost on what it costs to adapt internationally. And what was that? I think at the time it was like, well, without plane tickets on, I think it was around $28,000. Oh my goodness. Which seems outrageous, but like, you know, you think about it being like more like 50. Well, I think... Yeah, by the time we added in all of our plane tickets and everything else, it was more than that. But the but the number they had given me was somewhere between like it was around twenty. Okay, I don't, which I, is still I a should lot. probably go look at it. It's a lot of money, and I and I hear a lot in the adoption community. You know, oh, I don't have the money to do that. I'm like, oh, girl, the Lord will make a way. Trust me. So I turn the page. I see this dollar amount, and April, my husband, in that moment, walked through the door, said, "Hey." Remember that situation I told you about? Remember those checks? Here's the first one. And he put it down. And I went, oh my. I took that number. I multiplied it by 18. I tied out 10%. And we were almost to the penny. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And I, I just picked my hands up. And I looked at my husband. And I said, this is not our money. This isn't ours. This is for our future daughter. And so after that, we started just being funny, I guess. I don't know how else to explain it, but we came up with a word of the day. <laughs> so we woke up one Sunday and my, my husband said, I think the word of the day is surrender. Well, of course, we laughed because we knew. And so we went to church and every single song was about surrendership. It was about surrendering over to the Lord. Our pastor went on to do an entire sermon about how Mordecai had to surrender his life in order for him to adopt his cousin Esther Mm -hmm. so that she could go on and pave the way and save her people. Well, our little daughter's name is Esther. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. How Okay, so let's just back up. So you guys get the money, you go forward, you do the paperwork. How long after were you matched to Esther? Well, so we were, we were, we went to Haiti in February of 2014. Our daughter Esther was admitted to the orphanage about one month later. Okay. So we knew of her, but we did not know if she was going to be our daughter or not. But from the time we started to the time we got our official referral was about two, two and a half years. Okay. And how old was she? At the time she was admitted, she was eight months old. When we got her referral, she had just turned two, three. She just turned three. 
Okay. And did you know her backstory? We do a little bit. Yeah. It can be not the same as what it is, but right. But what did they tell you? Yeah. So we were told that, um, so she was admitted to the orphanage at eight months old. She was born to her birth mom who was in her mid or excuse me, early forties. And they, she couldn't take care of her. Um, our daughter's cousin, or excuse me, her aunt was actually taking care of her for about eight months. And then she turned into failure to thrive. And Haiti, she, Esther just comes from a very, very, very poor village in Haiti. And they just did not have the resources to take care of her. Okay. So she goes to the orphanage at eight months. You guys get matched between she's two to three years old. Yeah. She would just turn three. Okay. And I just want to say this part of the story is where kind of everybody ends. Like people listen to this and they're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. I'm sure you saw the pictures and everybody's excited. And then it kind of is like, that's wonderful. The end. (laughs) Right. And so we are here to kind of extend that story and bring in the love and amazement and also the reality of bringing home an older child that comes from a very poor village whose parents or family could not take care of her. And the reality of that is, is hard. There's trauma and there's heartbreak in that, right? But nobody thinks about that because everybody's wrapped up in this first part of the story and everybody loves this part of the story, which I love it too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love it. But then you go over and you meet her. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, we, we knew from just the education we had received through the, through the adoption process that the older she was, the harder it was going to be. I mean, we we all knew that. I mean, did you believe it though? Looking back. We didn't know what to believe. We didn't know what (laughs) to believe because we had never been, we have never been in this situation. I didn't know many people who adopted internationally or even older kids. We just really didn't know, you know, but you know, for us, it was so, when we went to go visit her, um, we brought our boys with us. Okay. Were they excited? They were super excited. They love Haiti and they would probably move there if we let them, which I would. My oldest son's like, I found a way that you will forever financially support me. He goes, if I'm a missionary. (laughs) That's something my son would say too. How can I continue to get money from mom and dad? I'll be a pastor or a missionary. (laughs) They're smart kids. They are. They yeah. Are. So I wanted to, I was still a backup just a smidge, mm-hmm. but when we were in the process, when we first started our adoption, um, our friends, Joel and Amy, that went to Haiti with us, um, they took on a calling from the Lord and they actually moved to the <gasps> orphanage. Oh my goodness. And him and his wife, and they brought all four of their girls there, but they ran all, they ran Children on the Promise for the entire four years it took us to get our daughter home. Okay. So, so she was friend, there. So she was there at that. Could you choose that? Could you say like, I want to do my paperwork, but we have friends there. Can we adopt from this particular orphanage? So at the time in 2014, Haiti was transitioning to be um, under the hat. Yeah. And because we fell right in between there, we could choose our orphanage. We could choose whether it was a boy or girl, which I think most countries, you get. we could choose a lot of things. And at that time, the orphanage is the one who actually matched kids. So they would, they would um, send the paperwork to the Haitian government that says, here is a parent, here's a family, here's a child. We would like 
them to be matched. And Haiti would honor that. But because of the, the way the hag is, um, they don't do that process anymore. So we kind of knew that Esther was one of the options of, of a little girl that we would adopt. Um, we didn't really know for sure because until you get it in writing, I just don't really trust governments. <laughs> right. And you're right to, to say that. Lots of yeah. things can happen. So, I mean, but we, from the time we got her referral to the time we brought her home was around 18, 19 months. And we flew to Haiti five times in the, in those 19 months. I know we, there was one time that we were so sad, April. It was a Tuesday and my husband's like, let's go to Haiti this weekend. So we just packed up our stuff and went because like our best friends live there. Right. And it's not that far. No. How we can far be there is by that? Day. By what? One o'clock. <laughs> oh my goodness. How long is that trip? Just a few hours. Um, it's two and a half hours to Miami. And then it's an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Minutes to Haiti, so it's really not a big deal. Okay. So Esther was familiar with you. She was. So she lived in a foster home with her foster mom. Um, her name's Tori. She was from Ohio. And Esther just really thought that we were really good friends of her foster mom and thought we were really good friends of Joel and Amy. So she knew us as, as Kurt and Megan, but she didn't know that we were the ones adapting her. Okay. And so every time we'd go visit her, we would hang out with her, but we hung out with the other orphans and we, we, we did not take care of any of her needs that all went back to her nanny and her foster mom. Was that hard? No, because I knew it was what, what was best for her. Yeah. And children of the promise, they don't tell their kids who their forever family is until they're like within weeks of going home. And a lot of that's just to prevent another um, another abandonment. Mm -hmm. So like if Haiti decided to close the door on adoption, these kiddos, they don't, it's just more abandonment to them. They've already had a ton. They just right. don't need to go. I totally, them. I totally get that. But it when I lived in Uganda, right. they called me the mother of all nations because I mothered everybody. I was always like involved and like, what? We're going to change this nappy like this. And I remember always saying, don't give kids tea. They gave kids hot tea in the morning. It was just what they did. It was cultural. But I was like, it has caffeine. It's going to stunt their growth. And it's so funny because my youngest is like, I want to drink coffee. And I know I'm going on a little rabbit trail, but I'm like, okay, drink my coffee. I drink it black. She's not going to like it. Wrong. She loves it. She's gulping it. And I turned to my husband. I'm like, all the time I spent in Uganda <laughs> trying to protect children from caffeine. And here my daughter is gulping black coffee. It's just funny, but I just, it just the innate feeling to parent and to mother, you know, is in a lot of us. And so I can see that that would be hard, but I love that you're saying what was best for her was for her to stay in her whole, you know, schedule and who was taking care of her just in case something happened. Right. And Absolutely. I think that's the safest thing. Now going back and forth and leaving, leaving her though, would have been really hard for me. That was very hard. It was, I think what was really hard um, was watching my boys, our boys mm -hmm. say goodbye to her. And we have pictures of it all and it just wrecks my heart. Um, but I also knew that God didn't just ask Kurt and I to adopt. He, he asked mm -hmm. our whole family too. It's so true. And so our boys are on this journey with us. So they saw how hard that four-year journey was for us. They, they saw the tears in the morning. They saw us you know, cry every Christmas morning and then go on and have the best Christmas ever. 
I didn't want to miss their childhood, you know, right. so we just kind of kept, we kind of kept just plugging away. Um, How yeah. old was she when so, you brought her home? Esther was, um, she was a little, she was close to five. She was about four and a half. Okay. Yeah. She was about four and a half. So she was funny because she told her foster mom, she goes, I hope my mom and dad are like Kurt and Megan. Aww. <laughs> so when Tori told her it was, us, she was like, yeah, I know. Aw, that's so sweet. Okay, so yeah. you get to go bring her home. She gets on a plane and talk to us about that transition. Sure. So when we brought Esther through Miami, she was the loudest kid to ever go through customs. <laughs> she was so excited. Airplane, 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 just kept screaming, you know, so happy. So her actually physically getting her home was very easy. It really was. I mean, we had a, we had a carrier that um, they make these special carriers for special needs kids. So even though she weighed like 35 pounds, I could still carry her everywhere, which was wonderful. Yeah. So getting her here was fine. But once she got home is when reality really set in for her and for us. She uh, we had we had a language barrier. She's four and a half years old. And so she understood a little bit of English, but not a lot. So we had to get really creative on just how to talk to her. We had to kind of talk to her like she was an 18 month old or show her a lot of things. Um, but she, she did okay. It was the night times that were the worst because those first couple of weeks she was home. We, my husband and I would alternate on who slept in the room with her and she would just go to bed and she would shake mm-hmm. and she would she would just start crying. And, and it was, it was a grieving, like the worst cry I had ever heard out of a child. And it was almost like she was just homesick and just didn't know how she was even going to survive this. Mm. And so we would just hold her and just let her cry. And, you know, but like for Esther, who was over, you know, she was over four and a half years old. She had to choose to trust us. Mm-hmm. She had to choose to listen and obey us. She had to choose all those things. And that was really hard for her. And, you know, one of the, one of the realities with adopting an older kid is, you know, it's joyfully hard because these, like with Esther, and I love her orphanage, and this is nothing against children on the promise. It's just the reality these orphanages, they tell these kids, like, you have a forever mom and dad, and they're going to love you, and they're going to watch, watch movies with you, and they're going to do all these fun things with you. But no one ever tells these kids that your forever family is going to hold you accountable to your actions. Your forever family is going to have you do chores. They're going to be okay if you're bored. Right. <laughs> like, no one tells them this. And so I think she just came home with this expectation that families never fight. Um, we're all going to get along. It's going to be like Disney World every day. And it wasn't that way. She had to learn how to get along with other kids. And we had to, we spent a lot of time teaching her how to be kind and how to just be self-sufficient a little bit. You know, we had to go all the way back to potty training. All that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. But, you know, with her, Um, I am technically her fourth mom. So she had her birth mom. She had her cousin, 
or her aunt, excuse me. And then she had her foster mom and then me. And so when it comes to my relationship with Esther, a lot of her pain from her past has been women leaving her, Mm -hmm. whether it was for a good reason or not, that doesn't matter to a kid. All she knows is that her primary caregiver has consistently left. And so for Esther, it's, it's been a real challenge for her to trust that we're going to be there for her, that we're still going to take care of her, that she can rely on us. And that's just kind of been an ongoing learning experience for her that she's going to struggle with. I always say that adoption is really two ways that you adopt a child, but the child has to adopt you, right? There is that process where they choose to let you parent. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think a child is going to come from a bad situation and come into your house and go, thank you so much. I love you and everything is great. And a lot of times they have grief that they can't explain because they're little, right? They don't trust you because everybody leaves them. And why should they try one more time? And you are coming and picking up those pieces. And you have to be a really strong person to do that. Because if you take things personally, and if you're sensitive, it's hard because they are rejecting you or they're testing you, you know, and you're the mom. And so you're going to get the hits more than probably dad. Sometimes it's dad, but mostly it's moms and it's frustrating and it's exhausting. And I'm sure people came to you and were surrounding her like, oh, she's amazing. And did she have a little bit of that? Like, I'm so cute. Everybody loves me. I really don't have to listen to you. <laughs> Yes, she did. <laughs> she, I think for Esther and a lot of these kids, you know, because they're the common denominator in their life, they just don't, she's like, why do I have to listen to you? Like, you know, that person who's caring for her was consistently changing. And, and it's hard because when she got upset and mad, she took it out on us. She took it out on me. And, and I am someone who feels a lot I do take things personally. So I've been on my own spiritual journey of how to just not take things personally and to just try to be her encourager. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a journey with her. How old is she now? She will be 10 in July. Okay. And she is, she is super awesome. I mean, she is full of energy and she loves glitter and snakes and she is like crazy. She's super smart, um, but it's been a journey. It's been it's been hard. School has not been easy for her, and not academically, but just socially. I think when you know someone like Esther, who grew up in an orphanage for four and a half years and was allowed to just do what she wanted to do, kind of, she you know school was hard. She's never been in that environment before. Um, taking her to grocery stores was hard. Everything was hard. <laughs> Right. Well, was it hard because she didn't like it or was it hard because the way people responded? What was hard? I think for Esther, um, she is so aware of her surroundings and she spends so much energy soaking it in that she can keep it together for a while and then she can't. So with school, a lot of our issues have been behavioral, just her, um, just losing it, snapping, just not being kind to other kids and, and just trying to teach her a better way to live, you know? So learning everything, I mean, skipping four and a half years, right. And now relearning everything is really hard and all the rest of the kids know it. 
it just is natural when you're with the same family and you trust your parents. I mean, we take that for granted, really, with our biological children, is that you just forget that, oh my goodness, they don't really trust me or they don't trust adults or this is overstimulating. This is too much. You talked about holidays and how it really changed your life for holidays as well. Yeah. I mean, holidays were were really challenging because I just, I, I wish what everyone said about adoption, like, Oh, you know, she's home and life's going to be great. Like, I wish all that was true. And, but the reality is number one, she's still a kid. So you got all those normal Mm -hmm. struggles, right. Of just raising children. And then you have the adoption on top of it. So like holidays for years was, and it's still a challenge now, but you know, it does bring up her birth mom and it does bring up unsettled feelings in her soul. And she doesn't always know how to process them. And like, for example, we, we used to do big Halloween parties. We loved them. Mm -hmm. And then the first year we brought her home, we got her home and we did a Halloween party. It was a disaster. Number one, I did not take into account that in Haiti, there are tons of voodoo and voodoo drums. And so, and there's lots of parades and masks. So all those things scared her. Right. (laughs) And she just couldn't handle all the excitement of a party. It would throw her off for days, just days and days. And so it just kind of got to a point where we had to do things on a smaller scale. We had to um, rethink our family traditions, which was fine. Like, we're happy to do it. Um, But in our mind, we were just kind of hoping, like everyone else, like, oh, you know, transition will be six months and then we'll just all be fine and life will just, you know, she'll just be a normal kid. And that was not the case. Or a normal family, (laughs) a normal family. You're never going to be a normal family again, probably. (laughs) And you have to really let that go. You know, that change, it's good. And obviously, if God calls you to do it, he wants that for you. But some of those things are shocking that you have to change or that you have to parent differently. We talk a lot about that on the show. But I, I mean, you and I were talking about holidays and I have one that just freaks out at holidays. And I learned that she just would get so filled with anxiety because she was nervous about the party. Was Were people going to have fun? Was she going to have fun? What did I expect from her? Did I want her to be really excited about these presents? Was she going to be excited about these? Pre- like her head was spinning. So I just let her pick out all of her own presents all the time. There are no surprises. She gets to pick out all of her own Christmas stuff. And I realized that saved me so much trouble. Now, do I want that? No, I want to buy them presents and I want them to be excited at Christmas. But I had to give that up because her nervousness was making the whole family on edge and it wasn't even fun. So once we started doing that, we all had a great time and she knew what everything was. So she knew how she was going to react. And I just realized this is something that she needs. She needs everything really planned out. Is that hard for me? Yes. Cause I'm super spontaneous and it's very hard for me to sit down and really have a schedule that I would talk to her about and plan it out. But if I want to have a good day and I want her to be okay, I have to do that. I have to parent differently. And there's all these things that we have changed. And I look back now and it's fine. It's But if you'd have told me in the beginning, like you're going to have four children and your life is just going to be completely upside down. You're not going to you know, know what you're doing, but you're going to figure it out. I probably would have been so overwhelmed with that change. It's all very slow, but recognizing when you bring a child home, inevitably it's going to change your life. Yeah. You said that perfectly. That that's exactly what it is. I mean, we really had to look at 
the unique needs that Esther had and her insecurities and find ways to help her get as much joy out of life as she can get. And, and just being willing to adapt. I mean, we just had to do that and it, and it's, I'm honored to do it for her. Um, but there's, there's a lot of grief in that because we just kind of had to let go of some old traditions that we really liked and that's okay. Like we have new ones now. We love them. You know, (laughs) we're still getting there, (laughs) you know? Um, so, but it's just, it's really looking at the unique needs of these kids Mm -hmm. and understanding where they come from. And, you know, we, I shared this with you, um, when we talked earlier, but with Esther, school has been a transition. I mean, it's been it's been a challenge. And so we spent the last like year and a half really reevaluating things with her and spending some time to try to find ways to help her feel better and be better. And so some of that was like we did a food sensitivity test and found out she was sensitive to some foods. So we mm-hmm. removed those and that's now making her feel a lot better. Um, you know, we've just kind of had to rethink the way we did bedtimes and the way that we redo, like you said, I mean, like Christmas, like all the presents, like you just have to kind of do things in a different way. And, you know, for Esther, I had to learn a lot about just how to help her stay regulated and things that work for her. And so when she gets a little sideways, swinging is one of the best things for her. Mm. Now, if you would have told me prior to adoption, Oh, one of your boys is a little off and he's being naughty doing homework. Let him go outside and play on the playground. (laughs) I would have laughed. I'd have been like, that is the worst idea ever. You're like, he's grounded is what he is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now that I'm adopted mom, I'm like, I need to swing everywhere I go. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. You do things that are so different. You're like, you need a break. You need to go swing. You need to go jump on the trampoline. You need to go do something that will help regulate so that you can handle the schoolwork or whatever it is. You need to take a little rest or a nap. I mean, we have discovered so many things individually for each child. And it's like a mystery a lot of times. And then you, when you find it, it's wonderful. And really, at the end of the day, and I think you said this, it's an honor. God chose me to be the detective and figure it out. And I'm on this great journey and he must have equipped me to be able to figure this out for them. And so he's gifted me with those gifts that I can, I can raise this child. And maybe right now you have just brought home your child and you're right in the middle of that attachment process. We so understand what you're going through, but I really do believe that you will find away. You will find that doctor. You will find that therapist. You will find a swing. You will find the right food. You will figure it out. Don't give up. I know you're tired. I know it's frustrating. I know it's not as glamorous as maybe you thought it was going to be, but there is such great joy and reward in it when you find it. Don't give up. I And that's what I say to everybody. If you're on that baby trail and you're not at the place where you've yet brought home your child, don't give up. Don't give up because we have gone before you and we know all these things are possible. And are there hard days still? Absolutely. Absolutely. We think we figured it out. And, you know, you have a hard day where you have one kid melting down. You're like, are you kidding? I did all the things. But that's just life. I want to know, ultimately, though, you feel that she attached to your family. Oh, yes, very much. I mean, we got very blessed in that area. Um, Esther very much, she attached to us pretty quickly and, and we did a lot of work to help 
with that process. And those were all things we learned through our adoption journey and just the waiting and talking to other families. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've been very thankful for that, but, you know, in the early, in those first several months, even six months, we kind of cocooned her. So we just kept her really close to us. And even with our biological children, we let them know, like, you can be a brother and you can do things with her. But when it comes to her needs, like if she needs water, if she needs food, if she needs help putting on a coat, we're going to ask you to come get her mom and dad. Come get us. Because she really had to learn who mom and dad was. And I think by doing those things, um, that really helped out with attachment for her. So... I think it's helpful too when you have children in the home and she can watch, you know, her brothers trust you. And once she starts to understand these two trust them and I can trust them and I can follow, there's a great healing process that happens. And that's ultimately really what it is, is we are a part of their journey, but we are a part of their healing. And that's hard. And healing a broken heart is really hard because there's no time on that, right? There's no A plus B equals C. Only God knows how to do that. And so to be called to heal broken hearts through adoption, what an amazing journey. And I mean, I pray for you. I pray for every family that comes on the show that they will have the stamina to do that. Because at the end of the day, when you see her grow and attach and do the things that she couldn't do yesterday, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful story. And that's really the beauty of the story is that some people stop at the very beginning, like, oh, you brought your child home. That's so great. But if they would continue to listen to the whole thing and where you've just taken us in this last 40 minutes and you see the tenacity, the mother's heart, you see a child changing and deciding maybe she could trust that is where the heart of, of God is. That's where the heart of the story is. Yes, it's hard to bring your child home and he's in that also, but the healing of the broken heart, the healing of the mind soul is really why we're doing this, right? We want to raise children, but we want to see healthy children who know who God is and he's the ultimate healer. So I appreciate you coming on the show. One last thing. What do you want to leave with our listeners? Well, I told our boys their entire life that God had a great plan for them and I didn't want them to miss it. And when God asked my husband and I to adopt, we knew that was his plan for us and we didn't want to miss that plan for us or her. I'm, I don't have a bachelor's degree in childhood, anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not super strong or, you know, I, I'm just some, I'm just a Jesus follower who is willing to say yes and to follow him in every step. And trusting that God was going to make a way, he was going to put people in our lives that were going to help us. But for me, it's like, this is God's plan, not only for Esther, but for us. And I just wanted to be obedient. I, I wanted, I didn't want to miss the plan God had for me. And I think also it's the reality that these kids, they stay in limbo till the family says yes. They, they don't need a perfect family. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to be willing to open up your heart and just to follow the Lord, you know? Megan, I love that. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode.